Okay, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thank you. It is great to see you here in Stackhouse Theater. We, uh, we actually will be back here one more time on October 22nd, I think. So look out for that. But um, we are really glad to have you. I want to just add my welcome, especially if you couldn't make it last week and this is your first time checking out RUF or your, or your first time in a while. I'm just so, so glad that you're here. I love these nights to get together uh, with a, a room full of people who want to acknowledge that there's got to be something more to this world than just our experience, that there's got to be some meaning, some power, some love. And of course, it's true. It's real. And it's the God who loves us and calls us to himself. We are spending time this semester going through the book of Colossians. And just to remind you, the, the idea that we're talking about, the question we're asking each week is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? Because at the core of what Paul says in Colossians is that Jesus is enough. In fact, he's more than enough. In fact, he's the only one who's enough for you. And so what I want to do today as we, as we look at this next part of Colossians is I want to talk about how because Jesus is enough, we actually can be transformed into a community of thankfulness, a community of thankfulness. So it's on your handout. If you have that handout in front of you or your Bible, we're looking in Colossians 1 verses 3 through 8 would be wonderful for you to have it in front of you as I read it. It says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us so much. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for... A chance to stop and to breathe and to rest and to hear and to learn. I pray that uh, you would be with us as you promised that you will be. That your spirit would be at work right now through your words so that we might know you and love you more and love one another. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, watching a, a rerun of the, the television show The Office recently. Do people still watch The Office? Yes. And I was, uh, this is right after Jim uh, leaves and goes to the Stanford branch. But he and his new boss go to a convention, and at the same convention, they meet up with Michael and Dwight. And uh, Michael is uh, kind of in a, in a tizzy the whole time. He spends the entire convention trying to work up hype for a party in his room. And, uh, and at one point, kind of before they're going down to meet their, their boss, Jan, Jim and his new boss, whose name I don't remember, are, are going into the room with um, Michael and Dwight. And Michael kind of offers him, offers him a drink. It's like 10.30 in the morning. And he's trying to make cocktails. He's got a full bar laid out. And um, Jim and his new boss kind of, they, they whisper something to each other, and then they start to laugh. And Michael starts to laugh, too. And um, Jim says, oh, uh, sorry, it's an inside joke. You, you kind of have to be there. And this is great. And Michael says, oh, I love inside jokes. I really want to be a part of one someday. <laughs> and and, and the, vibe, the vibe you get in a moment like that, it's just a, just a quick little line. You, the vibe you get is that... Uh, for Michael Scott, when he, when he encounters someone else, he, he is instantly put in this mode of uh, comparison, instantly put in this mode of insecurity, 
instantly put in this mode where he's sizing other people up around him to figure out where he stands. And, and that moment, which he uh, epitomizes so well, is exactly what we do all the time. This is the moment uh, that you get when you look around in your class for the first time. This is that moment that you feel when you go to a party and you look around to see who's there. This is the moment that happens in your heart every time you open up your Instagram feed and, and start looking at what is going on. You, you get this moment of, okay, who, who are these people? And where do I stand compared to them? Who's smarter, me or them? Who's more beautiful, me or them? Who's better looking? Who's got a better GPA? Who's going to get a better job offer? Who's got more like confidence and outgoingness at parties? Like we, we start to do this with everyone that we see. And so it cultivates us this instinct, this relational instinct of comparison and insecurity. Uh, Instagram has been the most prolific booster to insecurity that our culture has ever known. I call it insecuritogram. It's a, it's a catchphrase. It's catching on. You're going to hear it soon. But the problem is that this kind of uh, moment of instinctual comparison can only, lead to, can only lead to two things. The first thing it can lead to is, is vanity and pride. That's when you size the other person up and you think, you know, I think I am a little smarter. I think I am looking a little cuter tonight. I think I am a little more fun. I think my job offer is going to pay a little bit more over the summer, right? That's the, it's vanity and pride. And then the other thing that happens is it leads to insecurity and self-loathing. That's where you size the other person up and you realize, oh man, she looks awesome tonight. What was I thinking wearing this? Like that, you know that moment? Of course you do, right? It's that moment where you realize, uh, okay, they're a little more than me and I'm a little lower. That's the only two things that, that can happen. And these, uh, these modes of vanity or insecurity that we tend to live in all the time are just really, really disruptive to your life, to our life as a community. They're just not good for a life of community, of people who want to grow in friendship and intimacy and vulnerability and accountability, it's not good for us to be walking around feeling really insecure or really vain all the time. And so what we see here is that what, what Paul does is that he says in the very beginning of this section that every time he prays for these people, he thanks God. Every time, he says, every time I think of you, I thank God. I, I can't say that about anybody that every time I think about them, even the people that I love the most, every time I think about them, I mean, like, sometimes I'm thankful. Sometimes I love my friends. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm jealous. Sometimes I'm bitter. Sometimes I'm just sad. Sometimes I'm angry, right? Paul says that every single time he thinks about them, he is thankful. I don't think thankfulness is a very, like, cool topic. It's not a very sexy idea. We're going to talk about thankfulness. Like we want something a little more passionate, a little more exciting than that. But, but I actually think that thankfulness is one of the most powerful weapons that we can have. Because thankfulness is the thing that allows you to celebrate and rejoice with your friends in their victories. Thankfulness is the thing that allows you to encourage and affirm them. And thankfulness is the thing that frees you from comparison and insecurity. It's actually gratitude. Gratitude is the greatest weapon you have against insecurity, comparison, and the one-upsmanship that we engage in all the time. So here's what we're going to look. We're going to look at three things that, that Jesus enables us to do, three, three reasons why we can be a community of thankfulness. The first is a shared hope. The second is a shared faith, and then a shared love, okay? A shared hope, a shared faith, and a shared love. So first, 
we could be a community of thankfulness because of the shared hope that we have. This is how Paul lays it out in in verses 4 and 5. He gives thanks because he's heard about their faith and their love. And then he says this, because of the hope laid up in heaven. Because of the hope laid up in heaven. If you're... um, if you're not a Christian, I, I, I imagine that not everyone here tonight is a Christian. You need to understand that for Christians, the, the idea of hope is not like a sense of optimism. It's not just hopefulness where you just, you're, you're hoping things will work out okay. This vague sense that if you just endure this moment, things will turn out okay. That's not what, that's not what Christian hope is. Christian hope is a reference to an objective future reality. And so to live in hope is to be someone who lives with confident expectation of this objective future reality. And this hope, this objective future reality, is actually one of the main themes of Colossians. It's something that's talked about a couple different times, even in this first chapter. And down in verse 12, we kind of, it doesn't use the word hope there, but we get an idea of what Paul's talking about. He talks about that we've been included because we're children of God in the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance of the saints in light. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about heaven. And so I want to ask you, when you hear the word heaven, when you try to imagine what heaven will be like, what do you think of? Picture it right now. What are you picturing? I, uh, I was born in 1985, grew up, came of age in the 90s. In 1991, a movie called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out. Sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. This is where we first learned just how bad Keanu Reeves can be as an actor, as a young man. And sorry, sorry, Keanu. And uh, in, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Bill and Ted, the main the main characters, are murdered by evil robot versions of themselves from the future. Are you with me? Are you hanging? And so um, they they die, and they eventually um, go to they eventually go to hell. And in order to get out of hell, they challenge the Grim Reaper to a series of games. And they play, like, table hockey, and they win. And they play Twister, and they win. And they play Battleship, and they win. And I think they play, like, Sorry or Parchee. They play some board game. And eventually, the Grim Reaper, uh, because they've beaten him so many times, is convinced to take them up to heaven. And so they they go up to heaven, and as they're waiting in line before the uh, seat of St. Peter at the pearly gates of heaven, uh, they realize they're not going to get in, and the Grim Reaper's with them. So they mug three farmers and steal their clothes, and then pretend to be these farmers... They sneak past St. Peter, and there they are in heaven. And heaven in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You with me? You hanging with me? You don't need to see this movie. Just listen to me. <laughs> they, they, they get to heaven, and basically what's happening in heaven is this, this kind of big, white, misty cocktail party. And everyone is dressed up in white suits, and they find Einstein playing charades with a Martian scientist. And that, he could, anyways... The Martians go back and build good ver- robot versions of themselves to fight against a bad robot. And I won't spoil the ending for you, okay? But that's, like, that's literally what I grew up thinking of what heaven was like. This big, white, cloudy cocktail party with like, people playing games from all over the solar system. Like, I really thought that's what heaven was like. But the idea of heaven is, is just really hard to wrap our minds around. It's really hard to picture it. It's really hard to imagine what that will be like, okay? And the Bible tells us all sorts of things. Some of it is in more like poetic, metaphorical language. Some of it seems to be more clear. But I want to just throw out a couple of things that we know about heaven from what the Bible says, okay? Here are some things that we know. Uh, Christ, the risen Christ, is there. And we'll be there with him. And we'll finally see him face to face and share life with him. And he'll be our king 
perfectly forever. Okay. Um, secondly, sin and sadness and death and illness and pain and brokenness of every kind will be no more. All of the things that cause you pain will be wiped and washed away. We'll have perfect peace with God. You know that feeling that you have all the time, like there's this like tension and guilt and weirdness between you and God that makes you not know what to say when you pray? You'll have perfect peace with God, and because you'll have perfect peace with God, you'll live at perfect peace and harmony with all of the saints, with all people of all time who know and love God. You'll live with them in perfect peace and harmony and joy. Uh, it will be real. And when I say real, I mean it's not a place you float around as a spirit. We know it's real because Jesus' resurrection body is real. When Jesus rose from the dead, you could touch him, and he ate food. So it'll be a real place with real colors and real smells and real sounds, and you'll eat real food, and you'll do real things, okay? Not only is it real, but it's unending. It will never stop. This experience will never stop in its ability to fascinate and enthrall, and thrill, and rejoice you. These are the kind of things that we learn from Scripture about what heaven is like. And Paul roots his thankfulness in this idea that we have this hope, this shared hope, this common destination and direction that all of God's people are heading towards. And that's what empowers thankfulness in our community. Because we can look at each other no matter what is going on, and we know we're going to the same place. And the place that we're going is good. It is so good, it will fill us with joy for eternity. The power to resist comparison and insecurity and fight for thankfulness actually begins because of the shared hope that we have of the eternity that is promised to us through Christ. Secondly, tonight, community of thankfulness is offered to us because of the shared faith that you have. That's the first thing that Paul says, even before hope, right? He said, Paul is thanking God because of hearing about their faith in Christ. And it's really important to, to understand that it's a sentence with an object. They have faith in Christ. It's, it's more and more common. It's more and more popular to talk about being a person of faith. And that can kind of mean whatever you want. It's more and more common to talk about being someone who is spiritual. And it can kind of mean whatever you want. You have some kind of sense, some kind of belief, some kind of intuition that there's something else. And it can sort of mean anything. The, the Christian faith is a, is a personal faith. And I don't mean that it's personal to you. I mean that it's faith in a person. It's a faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith in Christ that we share is something that is that is delivered to us in the form of a message. And that's what the gospel is here that he talks about. That's the word of truth that's spreading and bearing fruit that he talks about in this passage. It's the gospel. The, gospel, the word the gospel just means good news. And it's the vehicle through which faith is gifted to us from God. It's this message of goodness. And, and, and this message is something that it's sort of easy to talk about. We, we throw around the word gospel all the time as if the gospel is a character in the story, but really the gospel is the story of the main character, Jesus. Okay, so here's, so here's what we have faith in if we have faith in Christ. We believe that God is a God of goodness 
and love and care for us, but that we've turned away and rejected God. That's what sin is. It's telling God, I, I know better. I'd like to live my life my way. But God is so good and so loving that even though we turn away, he never turns away. Instead, he does the opposite of turning away. He actually reaches out into time, into history, into creation, and is born as an innocent, vulnerable little baby in a manger. And Jesus becomes the, the embodiment of this truth, of this message of God's love for sinners. And he proclaims this in his life and in his ministry. He's the one who said, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news that God is saving sinners through a savior. And that this, this message of, of love and God continues because Jesus is not just the embodiment of the message. He's not just the proclamation of the message, but he himself acts out. He becomes the main character in the greatest act of love of all time. That because you and I have rejected God, we deserve God's wrath. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to take it on me instead. That's his death on the cross. Which means we're free. We're not under wrath. We're not under judgment. We've been forgiven. We've been accepted. We've been adopted as children. And the story doesn't end there because this Jesus who died actually is raised from the dead. He actually comes alive again. The story of the gospel does not end in death, it ends in life. And that is how we know that our story will not end in death, but will end in life. So when we gather and we worship, what we're doing is we're celebrating our faith. We're celebrating this story. We're celebrating the reality that we believe in a person who has loved us, who has saved us back from sin and darkness, and who is bringing us towards this future hope. And this shared faith, again, becomes a great weapon in the campaign of thankfulness against our insecurity and against our comparison. We can stop comparing because this faith mandates that all of us are broken, that all of us are in need, and all of us have been saved, not because we deserved it, but because God loved us so much. The Christian faith is the ultimate level playing field. And the field that we are on is this, beloved Beloved in Christ because of his goodness. That means people with different gifts and skills and looks and everything you can imagine are all the same in Christ. We're all sinners loved and saved. And for the Colossians, we know exactly how this happened. It's what's at the end of these verses on your handout. That this happened because they heard it from this guy Epaphras called a, a, a faithful servant of God that this faith is extended because people share it. And so one of the challenges of talking about faith and the reality that faith uses the vehicle of a message is like, if we really believe it, if we really think it's real, are we willing to participate in what this passage talks about and this spreading all over the whole world and bearing fruit more and more? Do you know that the gospel, that the Christian faith has never been growing faster in the world ever in history than it is today? is still happening. He's still doing it. And he actually invites us to be a part of it. This becomes a very, very scary thing. But this message empowers us to be a people who are thankful enough that we don't have to worry about the insecurities and comparisons that would plague us and keep us from keeping our mouth shut about the good news that we have, that we believe in. 
We have a shared hope and a shared faith. Lastly tonight, we're a community of thankfulness because of, because of a shared love. One of the things that you see uh, in this passage and elsewhere is that faith and love uh, go together. Faith and love go uh, hand in hand. And uh, when you think about what that means, it means that faith without love isn't really faith, and love without faith isn't really love. Faith without love becomes arrogant and unkind, and love without faith becomes sloppy and compromising. But Paul says he sees both in this community. What he's hearing, the message he's hearing back from them is that there is faith and there is love because of the hope. So I, I want to just say three things here about why uh, being a part of a community of love actually makes, makes us to be more thankful. Okay? Here's, the, here's the first thing about a community of love. We all just really need it. It's just really good for us to be loved. The, the thing that we want most of all is to have these relationships where we experience compassion and care and mercy and affection and intimacy and vulnerability and encouragement. It's the thing often in our lives that we are most thankful of is the people who have showed us love, isn't it? So the first reason it makes us thankful is because we all need it. It's really good for us. The second one is that love in a community is a thing more than anything else that reflects the heart of Christ. The way that we as a community show and reflect what God is is that we love each other. That's why, that's why Jesus says in John 13, this is how people will know you are my disciples. How are they going to know you're my disciples? You follow me that you love one another. It actually is a way that reflects the heart of the Christ who saves us. And then the third thing is that love in our community is the thing that's going to give credibility to our hope, to a watching world. You probably know this, especially if you're more bold in your faith, especially if people know that you go to stuff like RUF or you go to stuff like church or you do weird things like close your eyes and pray to a God you can't see or read your Bible and trust that it's real and true. That people think you're foolish. People think you're weird. People think you're naive and old-fashioned. The one thing that's going to make people stop and consider the hope that we have is the way that we love one another. What I'm longing for and what I'm seeing happen and what I want to see happen more and more is that people will look at a community like this and say, and I don't know exactly what's going on, but I want to be a part of that. I want to experience friendship like that. I want to experience encouragement like that. I want to experience being like really known but still accepted like that. The way that we love each other is what gives credibility to our witness. I, I want to offer three things uh, as I close here. Uh, three suggestions for how we might this week become more and more a community that embraces this shared faith and hope and love so that we might grow in thankfulness and fight against insecurity in comparison. Okay, Here's the first thing. Find a friend and go have a conversation about heaven this week. Just say, just start it like this. What do you think that will be like? And just start talking. What's it going to feel like to not know how to sin? What is the fruit in heaven going to taste like on my tongue? I want you to think and talk about these things with a friend this week. Okay, that's my, that's my first suggestion to you. We have to stoke the fire of our imagination about heaven. Uh, the second one is get, get a group of friends together who share the same faith that you have, and have a meal where you celebrate the story of God's love for you. 
It's that, that, all that means is sitting around, having some good food, thanking God for it, and just celebrating together the goodness of God as he shared us in the gospel. Celebrate it together. Okay, and then lastly this. This is more to do with how we, how we grow in love as a community. But, uh, and, and I'm aware that I'm going to be talking to some of you. Uh, some of you are, are on both sides of this thing. But as you think about the community of something like RUF Large Group, or something like the church that you go to, or something like the small group that you go to, or something like just the squad of friends that you hang out with, uh, you become aware that there are kind of people who are on the inside of that, and there are people who are not. There are people who are on the outside, people who are on the fringes, people who don't yet have their place, who don't yet belong. Most of you first years feel like this to some extent already, right? So here's my challenge to you who are on the inside. Bring somebody in. Look around. Who isn't a part of that? And bring them in. We want our community to be one that embodies love. It is good for us. And that's the thing that's going to enable us to grow in thankfulness. I, um, I talked a lot about the Chronicles of Narnia last semester because I was reading them with my oldest daughter, Ellie Kate, and we have now graduated. We finished and we're reading the Harry Potter series. It's so good. We've, we've, just, we've just started the Chamber of Secrets. But uh, if you've read them, you, 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 know the, you know the basic story. In the, in the, first, move, in the first book, there's these uh, you know, kind of three main characters. You've got Harry and Ron who become friends really early on, and then you have Hermione. And for most of the book... Harry and Ron and Hermione are, are not friends, even though, they're, even though they're all in Gryffindor. And I just want to say, I, although online tests would say otherwise, I would definitely be in Gryffindor, okay? <laughs> I think it's very clear. Um, they're, so they're, they're all in the same house. They're all in Gryffindor, but, but they're, they're kind of at odds because, you know, Harry and, and Ron, they don't really care about the rules. They're just curious. They want adventures. They're kind of doing their own thing. They're like smart, but they're not very good students. They're not very studious. And uh, Hermione is the opposite. She raises her hand to every question. She knows every answer. And she hates them, and they hate her. They make fun of her, and she cries in the bathroom, right? They're, they're sort of rivals. And then this crazy thing happens where someone, I won't tell you who, was it Snape? We don't know. Let's a troll in on Halloween. And Harry and Ron uh, realize that the troll has gotten into a bathroom where Hermione is crying because she is on the outside. She's one of those people who doesn't have somebody. It doesn't have a squad, doesn't have a crew. And so they go in and they fight against this troll together in a bathroom. And somehow they knock it out because of Wingardium Leviosa. And Ron gets the club up. Leviosa. I'm, bra I'm not smart. I'm brave, Gryffindor, okay? <clears throat> And, they, and they, knock, they knock out this troll, right? And, and they've gone through this traumatic, terrifying experience. Walls and sinks have been shattered by the club, the terrible smell, the fear, and the panic, and they've come out victorious. They've gone through this crazy experience, and it totally changes them, right? They've shared in something, and this is even what J.K. Rowling says. It's like there are some things that you can't go through and not be friends after, and fighting a giant troll is one of them. I want that to be what it feels like to be a part of this community. I want us to embrace what we are sharing so much. This hope, this faith in the God who saved us in Christ, this love for one another so much that it transforms us into a people who are bonded together with thankfulness to God. So that we can stop living 
in insecurity and comparison and start to live in the joy and love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for what we do share. Thank you for the hope of eternal life that you promise to us. Give us imaginations to be fascinated and enthralled and to long for it more and more. Lord, thank you for the gift of the gospel. We have, we have heard it from somewhere. Whether people are hearing it here tonight for the first time or we have heard it all our lives, we have heard it. And I pray that it would take deep root and that we would look around and realize, even though we are different in so many ways, we have the same story if we're in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would, because of these things, that you would unite us together in this shared commitment to love. I pray that you'd give us hearts that are not just thinking about us and our own experience, but that are thinking towards others in love and compassion. And I pray especially that you would make this the kind of community where people experience that if they're on the outside, they are seen and drawn in and connected and loved. Lord, we know that we can only do that because that is what you have done for us. And so we praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.